Well, good morning, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Hello World. <laughs> We're everywhere. <laughs> it's our second every. It's our second episode, and we are quite literally everywhere. And I'm super excited. We have a great guest today, and we've got some fun topics to talk about in the cybersecurity world. Always a lot going on. There's a lot going on here too. So just. I'm like this next show that we have next week, which will be kind of, we'll have, I think we'll have one more and then we'll have a week off. I might be ha having a baby with me because we're literally Thursday. My wife and I are going to the hospital and uh, going to get an induced unless she calls me during the show. And then uh, Emilio, it'll be up to you. I, I, I don't think that's an excuse. I don't know. I have a list of available excuses you can use. I don't think the whole when I have a baby is one of them. I'll be honest. like, just just hold it in, babe. I'll see you at the hospital. <laughs> it'll be it'll be fine. So we're gonna talk a little bit. So we we've got Mickey Peak who's gonna talk to us about networking. She's part of BNI, and uh, I've known her for quite a while, and she's been a, just a great asset uh, since I've known her. We're gonna talk about password management today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some other uh, news articles that we've seen. And uh, it's really, this should be really good content. So I'm, I'm really excited. So I'm going to uh, bring Mickey into, uh, into the stage so she can just tell us a little bit about herself and we'll get uh, this interview started and let's, uh, let's get a move on. I'm excited. Let's go. And here we have, we have Mickey. I've known, I don't even know. I see. I've been a part of BNI for, I guess, going on five years now. Uh, I was the vice president for a while. So you and I got to work really close hand in hand. Tell us a little bit about, about your career and where you started and then how you got into, well, first we'll want to know what is BNI when you get to that point, but then how did you get started? Uh, BNI is Business Network International. It is um, started in 1985 by Dr. Ivan Meisner, who um, was pretty successful, lost his biggest client, and was tr struggling trying to figure out how to make up that gap. And so he um, got together all the business professionals that had been referring him business. Um, and, uh, and that was the very first chapter in January of 1985. And now we have over um, 300,000 members, over 11,500 chapters internationally. Awesome. And then you, you've been in BNI, you've been executive director for how long here in the Pacific Northwest? In February will be my 13th um, year as an executive director. Um, it will be 21 years of being um, a director of some sort um, and, uh, and a member for 21 awesome. years, February. Awesome. And, and what were you doing before you got into this, this, uh, this job of, of helping people network? Um, I was a part of a multi-level marketing company that doesn't exist anymore. And I um, was married to someone in the Navy. So we moved to Washington state. I thought, Hey, let's, start a business. I don't know anybody. Um, I don't yeah. know how to do this. I don't know how to network. Um, yeah. And why not? And so I made just about every mistake you can think of um, <laughs> with networking. And when I was exposed to BNI or it was introduced to me, it just felt like, wow, this is going to explain 
why I've made so many mistakes, why networking isn't working for me. And that's exactly what happened. Mickey, so um, thank you for sharing that, by the way. You mentioned that you just got to Washington State and you didn't know a lot of people and you had to just kind of start from scratch. So a lot of what we try to provide here is um, insight to new business owners, current business owners, startups. So somebody starting from scratch, brand new, zero, bottom of the floor, what would you say are the top things they should do or look for when either trying to join a networking group or just going to a networking event? Uh, well, both are vital. Um, and I think one of the mistakes that we make, well, one, networking is really an essential tool for any business owner, but it is not something that comes naturally to people. People think that I can get out there and I can talk to anybody about anything at any time. That means I can network and networking. That's not what networking is. Networking is about bringing value, um, receiving value and creating relationships. Um, one of the mistakes I made very early on was thinking that I needed to attend all of these networking things, join a networking group and go to these networking events thinking that I was showing up to sell my products and services to people. And a lot of people do the same thing. But if you surveyed a huge group of people and asked them, how many of you are here to sell to someone in the room, the majority of the people would raise their hand because that's what a lot of us think that networking is. But then if you also followed up with a question of, um, how many of you showed up here to buy something? Uh, you'd probably get two or three people raising their hand. And that's where there's a disconnect in the, the definition of networking and expectations around networking. And when you remove the expectation that I'm going to go, I'm going to join a group to sell my product, or I'm going to go to an event to sell my product. One, it takes a lot of the pressure off of you. Um, but it really begins to help you have the right mindset around networking, which will then, if you if you if you develop the skill, should get you some results. Well, thank you. That's actually some good insight. Um, I don't go ever thinking I'm going to sell, but I never have the other mindset you just made me think about. Just go and cultivate the relationships and just meet the people and interests. Sometimes I'm like, all right, maybe I'll get lucky and. I tell somebody what I do and they're like, oh, I need that, you know, and then we start that conversation. But I think it's it's very good to go with the mindset of I'm just going to build relationships. I'm going to meet new people. I'm going to add them to my, you know, Rolodex. <laughs> I'm going to add them to my Rolodex and then, you know, we'll just keep nurturing the relationship and eventually it might get somewhere. Thank you. Uh, be careful using a word like Rolodex. There's going to be an entire audience that has no know, idea what you're talking about. I, I use it on purpose for that reason. More like um, you know, farming than hunting. And maybe you haven't experienced, you know, going to an, an event and then feeling like you have that target symbol on your forehead with someone trying to actively sell to you. Uh, I certainly have, and I'm probably very guilty of doing that in the very early days of, of, of networking. But, you know, mm -hmm. when you go out thinking that you're hunting for your next client, you're hunting for um, someone to buy, um, it, you have a different mindset uh, than someone who is a farmer, someone who's out there 
planting, you know, tilling the soil, preparing the soil, planting the seeds, pulling the weeds, and then taking in a harvest. Um, and that's really what the heart of networking is, is really more about um, farming and cultivating relationships that will result in fruit and, and um, a harvest later. Yeah, and I think the misconception, I hear this both when people join chambers and when they join BNI or when they join, join any networking, there's this, I think this is, there's this myth that I can walk into networking, show up two or three times, and all of a sudden I'm going to have a wealth of leads. I personally think the turnaround time is six months to a year at least before you start cultivating enough relationship with people that people begin to buy, especially depending on your product. Amelia and I both have a product that is a longer, it's a larger uh, monthly buy-in, right? So it's different from buying like uh, a commodity, which sometimes like uh, somebody who's in, say like they do uh, plumbing, they have an immediate need, somebody needs it, quick buy. Uh, when I was in retail computer sales, it was always quick. If somebody called me on the phone, I'd show up, I'd take care of them immediately. Uh, so it really seems like the 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 buy-in is a lot as takes a lot longer depending on what industry you're in but it just takes a while to cultivate those relationships and it's not an overnight show up and it's just gonna it's just gonna happen uh, type of a thing no it's definitely not uh it, it makes it sound like it's a get rich quick scheme it is you know you've got to be in it for the long game you think of financial planning and investing small amounts over a long period of time so that eventually you can retire and have all of this money waiting for you. Investing small amounts of time and energy into building relationships gets you the same thing. It, it is a long game. It is not a short gain um, when thinking about um, yeah. you know, networking and your profession absolutely has something to do with it. If you've got something tangible, I can see it, I can smell it, I can taste it right away it's easier to make that sale. And then it's easier to decide, do I like it? Do I not like it? Am I going to do it again? But when it comes to financial planning and banking and, um, and security, things that have myth and stereotype and baggage, um, those all mean that it's, it's more of a relationship investment. You've got to spend a lot of time building your credibility as a person and then people will begin to buy into what it is that you, but you that's, sell, but you at six months, I would say that's probably even uh, too short of a time frame for, for some of those professions. We see this in all of marketing. All of marketing is a long haul. Every, every single bit of it, it's, it takes time. And uh, when you stop now, when you stop marketing, you tend to see a gap as well mm -hmm. in your sales and, and your, your connections. If you were, so say staying, what, what I'll say is uh group agnostic, you know, there's chambers, there's BNI, there's a lot of different networking opportunities. What are like the three or four things that if you were to cut somebody loose, say they're, say they're a brand new business owner, or maybe they're just a CEO that's hit the point where I need to go and grow my business. 
what would be the three or four things that you'd recommend when they show up uh, to those networking groups that they could, they could do to maximize their time? Uh, well, one, don't forget your business cards. <laughs> you'd be surprised at how many people forget them. Now I personally do not like receiving business cards anymore because I know exactly what happens to them. I bring them back to my office. They get one, a big box and that's where they go because I know all I have to do is an internet search to find your name, your contact information. So that becomes baggage for me that just clutters my office. So I prefer sharing information electronically, um, but there are people that still do love business cards. So I still bring my business cards with me, um, but actually I should even back up. Before you get out of your car, uh, check your mindset. Um, because your mindset will determine your body language. It will determine um, whether you appear approachable or not, or if people are going to run the other way. Um, your, your mindset and, um, and managing expectations and having goals in place. Like, I just wanna meet three new people. And then when I meet those three new people, then I can like relax and I can spend time hanging out with the people I already know. Uh, I'm, I'm just as guilty as a lot of people. I go to a networking event and, um, and I find that group of people that I know. And that's where I feel comfortable because I'm shy. I'm an introvert. So I will go hang out with them rather than doing really what I came there for, which was to meet new people rather than hoping to meet new people. If I just set a goal, a reasonable goal based on, you know, how I feel that day. Um, because if I am um, in a bad mood, I still want to go to the event. I don't want to blow it off. Um, I still want to go. But if I'm not in a great mood, I'm going to set a low reasonable goal. And then if I hit that, that might make me feel better. Just the conversation may make me feel better. And I might bump that goal up. But first, I'd say check your check your mindset and your expectations. Um, and then setting goals. And then um, pay attention to your body language, um, the way you stand in groups. Like if you're standing facing someone head on at a right angle, what it, what it uh, communicates to the rest of the room is that no one else is welcome in our conversation. Everybody stay away. But if you're at um, a, a slight angle to each other, that means that someone, maybe that other new shy networker in the room will feel like they can walk up to you, they can approach you and, um, and participate in that conversation. So paying attention to, um, to your body language, crossing your arms, the, are you standing aggressively? Are you smiling? Smiling makes you approachable. If you have a scowl on your face, you could be the nicest person in the room, but most people will be afraid to uh, to approach you resting angry face yes <laughs> avoid resting angry face. yes so, <laughs> a little story so um i just started networking again over the last two months and i go to my first event about two weeks ago and i, I looked up a youtube video so exactly what mickey just said so i have my my body open to everybody and I'm the person that i'm um interchanging conversations with does as well and a young lady walks up to us and she starts asking down the circle or semicircle what each of us does. And when the person says what they do, 
she's like, well, I don't need that. And then like to the next person. And she did it to like three or four of them. And then she walks away. And then later on in the night, nobody said anything like just out of respect and courtesy. And later on in the night, she comes up and she's like, um, man, this, this gentleman over there was so rude. Like, you know, uh, and he had a little exchange and then she walked away and then everybody was like, I can't believe she just said that somebody else was rude. When the first thing she did when she got here was ask us what we did and then say, well, I don't need that service and move on to the next. So, you know, just to other business owners and, and our viewers, you know, when you're having those conversations, don't dismiss what the other person does. You know, you never know when you might need them, when they might need you, you know, just build a relationship with everyone. And that could be the person that refers you the most one day for some reason. Yeah. She just missed the entire point. Like yeah. it is not even the people in the room. It is who they know. So what if you don't need the person that's in front of you? Like you said, someday you may need them, but they may know a dozen people that could use you if you build that relationship. Yeah. All right. Um, I have one. What do you, and this one's a little bit more, I'm being a little selfish right now. So I'm part of a group and we're just starting up. We don't even have like the initial eight to 10 members. So we're trying to get enough to just start up. Um, it's another networking business that's not BNI, but it's very similar. Um, how do you recommend to recruit other members into your networking group? Um, well, you first you reach out to the people that you already know, like, and trust. People that um, uh, more important than what they do, they are people that you would want to hang out with on a regular basis and you want to build um, a deeper relationship with. Um, so no like and trust is, is important because you don't refer people that you don't like. Correct. So inviting those people and everybody in the room, inviting kind of that inner group of people that they already have solid relationships with. And then you kind of work that circle out. There's a lot of ways from, you know, the way I built my first group, I did a lot of cold calls. Um, I hate cold calls and I would never cold call for my own business, but I discovered that cold calling for uh, building the group at the time um, was much easier because I was extending something, an opportunity for them to grow their business with other local business professionals that may need their products and services and certainly would know people that could use their products and services. Um, so I, cold calling worked well for building our first group because I didn't know anybody in the area and I didn't have a connection uh, to other pro professionals in the area. Um, but there's, um, you know, using social media to kind of announce to your network that you're starting this thing, uh, whatever it is, and um, and talk about what some of your goals are beyond how many people you want in the room, goals for building community or goals for, um, for the number of referrals or the amount of business you wanna generate through this connection. Um, I think, you know, speaking from the heart and, and, um, and what your vision is for wanting to start this group and getting it to a certain size can certainly um, speak to a certain number of people that you're inviting. Okay, a real quick follow-up. Is there such thing as too many networking groups? 
Like, can I be in two or three? Or if I'm in six, is that too much? Or oh, how many to belong to? Yes, yes, yes there to? is. Yes, there okay. is. Um, because you become someone that has a wide network with no depth because you have no time to develop deep relationships because you're so focused on just meeting as many people as you possibly can. And um, so, you know, there are a lot of books out there that recommend um, uh, Dr. Meisner, our founder, has written more than one book on focusing on three, three groups so that you can find one that is maybe service-based like a Rotary or Kiwanis or Seroptimus so that as a successful business owner, you're giving back to your community and you're rubbing elbows with a lot of other successful people in, in uh, the community. Some of them retired, uh, but they retired very successfully from the careers that they had. Rotaries and, and things are not really conducive to actually talking about your business openly, but you build a relationship and that conversation uh, will naturally happen. And then, um, and then a, a group like maybe a chamber of commerce um, where you have the ability to practice your networking skills and you have the opportunity to meet a lot of people and um, become more visible because if people don't know you exist, they can't do business with you because they just don't know that you exist. And, um, and with the chamber, there may be your competition may be in the room, or you may think that you have competition in the room uh, when there, there could be some amazing opportunities for collaboration and cooperation rather than, um, you know, um, competing with each other. But you may, there may be some other people in your same exact industry there. So it's not really not an opportunity to uh, potentially really grow your business through just attending. It is more about relationship building, visibility, and, um, and, and building more of your, your networking skills. Uh, Chambers of Commerce, although there are a lot of networking opportunities, the goal, the focus of a Chamber of Commerce is really to be your political voice um, you know, for the business community in your state or in your county. And I then, uh, and then an, a third group would be um, a focused group, one that is solely exists for the purpose of helping each other grow your business. So choosing um, a hard contact networking, um, soft contact, and then uh, service based to have your fingers in um, several different areas exposed to many different kinds of people um, in order to, to build your business. That's kind of the idea. I think where I, I found really good success, particularly in uh, chamber of commerce is brand awareness. <laughs> they do a really good job. Uh, here's a, here's a really good example. I wear a hat almost everywhere I go. I, in my, particularly my old brand had this reputation of the IT guy with the hat. <laughs> And it was super easy for me to get business because if someone was talking, and this happened on multiple occasions, somebody was talking about an IT issue, they'd say, well, I'm sure John's around here somewhere. Let me look for his hat. And uh, and it was and it was something that became a, a brand repetition that people just knew that I was a regular at those events. And then what it did for me in the IT space, it just gave me quick access to people. Uh, and I... I I would kind of do what you talked about earlier, go in, 
and just say, I'm just going to meet three people. And the rest of the time, I'm just going to build relationships or talk to people I already know. I love that. I think that was a great, um, I think it's great. I, I think that's something important. I think there's a place for all these different, different networking types of groups. You just have to understand what their purpose is and where they're strong. And, and honor and honor the purpose of yeah. the group. No, don't violate the rules of the group just to market your business. And, and as a new business owner, um, you know, one of the things I hear most often is I can't afford, I can't afford it, a chamber membership or a BNI membership, or, you know, when you're, when you're starting a business, it's important to have a marketing plan and that marketing plan requires a budget, a budget of your time. And because uh, you can, you can go to all the free networking events in the area that you can think of, but you still have to budget time. Time is money. Getting there, gas, um, and if you have to pay in Washington State, anyways, we have toll bridges um, and and toll roads that we have to pay to drive on. So it isn't free when you think of it that way. Um, so having a budget that you can invest into um, memberships and into um, you know even going to the free events because they're really not free. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, so I, I want to uh, touch on another question that uh, we had in our, our private chat, uh, which I think is really pertinent to the way the world has changed. And so here's the, here's the question. Is in-person meetings that much better than Zoom or online me meetings? Let's talk about the, the benefits of each. I think that's, sure. I think uh, I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Well, and I think that, um, that it's human nature to think in either or. Um, that one is better than the other. And, um, and it's not either or. Um, I think a blend of both is healthy, just like a blend of different types of networking groups is healthy because each type will give you access to different groups of people. And the more varied groups of people, you need diversity in your network to maximize your ability to create visibility and profit for your business. So um, Zoom, uh, it's easy. <laughs> um, as long as you've got um, a good internet connection, uh, a computer and, uh, and a camera, or even your phone and a camera, it, it's incredibly easy. And it's also incredibly easy to participate when you um, maybe go out, out of the area, vacation or, um, or business trip. You can still generally participate in, um, in a group that is um, an online group. Um, they're very efficient very efficient. Um, but I think that there, it does take a little more effort to create the relationship because there are a lot of cues that we're missing when we're on camera. Um, the body language, we're all just, we're all sitting and facing a camera. You can't see facial expressions as well. You can't see arm movements and how someone sits and you weren't able to interact with them where you might be walking around the room. Um, and body language is, is important. Those are important social cues. Uh, me being someone with ADHD, uh, social cues are really important and I have to pay extra special attention to social cues. And those so, a lot of those social cues are, are off um, when you're in a Zoom environment. So incredibly efficient, you can get amazing results in person, you know, uh, you do have to get there. 
Um, and, uh, and so, you know, in a Zoom environment, you can draw a crowd from further away in, uh, and in person. It's just however far someone is willing to drive and dealing with being up to deal with weather and, and traffic issues and um, things like that. But you do get to actually shake people's hands and you get to hug people that if you're a hugger, you get to hug people and exchanging um, business cards and seeing, you know, more of those social cues, um, your behavior style may determine which way you lean as to which one you would prefer. But I think that there's probably equal value in both and then finding, you know, a blend uh, just because of uh, the number of people that you can reach through Zoom that you just can't through in person. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I think you're right because uh, I think some of the conversation I've heard has been an and or. Uh, yeah, not, it's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, that you can find equal benefit from both. I know I travel uh, frequently, so finding a mobile group or somewhere I can do Zoom is super, super helpful uh, for my business as well. Uh, can you, I don't know, Amelia, if you have any other questions, but Mickey, is there anything else that you think that our audience uh, should know about networking or that, you know, they would find beneficial to help them grow their business? Um, just uh, in 2024, if you're setting goals, set a reasonable goal. If you're not networking at all, don't think that, um, you know, to like dive head first and start attending every networking thing that you can, but just find a way to just add one step, one new step to your networking, whether it is changing your mindset and your goals around networking, or if you're currently maybe a member of a chamber, then, um, and that's the only networking you do, maybe add a hard contact networking group or add a service organization to the mix for 2024. And um, don't, don't go crazy. That's where, you know, that's why resolutions fail. We go crazy. We go to the extreme. Just take one baby step and add one little thing. But if you're a brand new business owner, I cannot emphasize enough how important networking is um, and, and make sure that it's a part of your, your plan for building your business. Awesome. Well, Mickey, if, if someone wants to take advantage of the BNI opportunity, what's the best way? I know we're uh, covering all of the United States. So you and I are in the Pacific Northwest, Emilio's in Florida. What's the best way for somebody to find a local BNI chapter near them? Well, if you're, if you're in my area, if you're in the Western Washington area, um, you can go to BNIPNW com for BNI Pacific Northwest com and um, and I'll help you find a local chapter here. If you're outside of my area, going to BNI.com and um, they'll ask you a few questions and, um, and and you just submit and they will connect you with someone in your area for um, uh, that will help you find a chapter or help you start a chapter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a great privilege to have you here. Uh, I'll see you Wednesday because uh, yes. uh, we're, we're working together. And I'm happy to come back because there is so much that can be talked about under the umbrella of networking. Yeah, we love this. Thanks so much. We just greatly appreciate having you a part of the show today. Thank you. you bet. We'll be sure to have invite you back, Mickey. Thank you for everything. 
It's nice yeah. to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet Thanks you, too. Well, that was, man, that was great. That was a lot that of was fun that uh, was to good. have her here and, and be able to just have another, uh, just have somebody who's got a lot of experience in growing networking groups and, and, and who's just been a part of, of growing those in our area and who's been doing networking for longer than I have, uh, uh, by far. So I love, I love that voice of experience. That's definitely, definitely a lot of good tidbits that if someone knew at the beginning, they could avoid a lot of errors or mistakes, just like she mentioned. I remember when I used to, when I started and I'd go to networking groups, I think that's what I was doing. I was just kind of stabbing people with my IT solution. Like, Hey, I think you need this. Hey, I think you need this. Hey, I think you need this. Or asking them about their business and then inputting my solution into their problem. And then be like, all right, so what now? You know? So if I was just trying to create the relationship and have the conversations, get to know them better, you know, see each other at a couple of networking events. Then when the issue came up, then I, you know, I might be the person they call or, you know, from them, put them into some type of marketing or sales funnel and, you know, work your way that way. But yeah. instead of just throwing everything, throwing the kitchen sink at them the first day you meet them. I think it's also fascinating to hear. Uh, well, we see it. I see a lot of people who walk into a room and they're literally just trying to sell. That's, that's their main goal. And I love that. What you say, you know, if you will ask the question, how many people are, are here to sell something? Most everybody raises their hand versus if, you know, if you ask how many people are here to buy, the number would be dramatic, you know, dramatically less. That's, that was a fast, that's a fascinating thought. And I, I know it's true because I went, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't ever show up to groups necessarily to buy anything. I'm not, that's not my mindset. My mindset truly is, to promote my business and uh how do you do that and i think really the key is relationship i think that's the biggest thing that we can do as business owners is just just grow and building relationship with one another yeah, agreed well now we get to move on as a couple other other topics so the one of the things that's been on my mind because i've seen a lot of this and it's really common in our industry we do a lot of risk assessments. And we're going to talk about bad passwords today. Uh, Amelia, what's the worst password you've ever seen? Oh, Don't man. say who it is. What's uh, the worst password you've ever seen? Password? Computer? Yeah. And I'll tell you who it was. This guy, who right? You? Here. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, you not in my recent years, but when I was younger, I was like, oh, no one's going to think that my password is password. And then it just... And then, you know, when I, once I got into IT a little bit deeper and into a little cybersecurity, I was like, wow, this is a lot more common than I think. But besides that, it's probably the person's name and their date of birth or their name and the number one. That's the most, you know, the most common mistakes we see all the time. I've seen ones that are, uh, I'll use an example because I have a client uh, that's on an old plan who still kind of doesn't want to change, but uh Say it's a uh, car dealership or a car repair place, and their their password's like muffler one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, that's not a client that I have. It's do that's you know you can't search around. But uh, there may be someone watching. If your password's muffler one, I wasn't calling you specifically out, but you should change it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like just those types of things. And I, I, let's talk about some of the key things that people need to be thinking about when it comes to passwords. Now, here's the number one complaint I hear when I talk about passwords. 
I have so many places to stick them. How am I supposed to keep track? I agree. That's what my wife says. <laughs> so we have a solution for that. We do. Which is a password manager. Uh, right. I'm personally using Keeper from for password management, and that's the one we use for our clients. What do you, What is your? Do you have a favorite? Or use? Uh, I'm I'm also using Keeper for my clients. Um, do I have something that I recommend to consumers? Um, I did, and I don't have the name at the top of my head. Um, you know, because sometimes it's a friend asking you and out of business, right. and you know, and then you kind of you have to weigh the options. But I would recommend to anybody that can. I mean, they're usually what two, three, let's say two to five dollars, low end, high end. Yeah, and GlassPass, for example, uh, I know they had a breach, uh, but fortunately, here's I want to clarify a couple things about password managers. Uh, number one, a good password manager has what they call a zero knowledge architecture. What does that mean? That means that a good password manager stores data encrypted. In other words, at rest from the moment it gets on their servers, it's encrypted. And the only person who has the way of decrypting that information is your connection and your password with them. So for example, LastPass had a data breach. People could get, I think what was released in the data breach was they, what they found was names and email addresses and potentially websites. But the passwords themselves were not released into the wild because of their zero knowledge architecture. So uh, LastPass, you know, I feel like companies like LastPass, anybody who has a data breach or has some issue, I don't know if you remember back in, I think it was the 90s, Jack in the Box had a huge E. coli scare. They were probably one of the safest places to eat right after <laughs> because they had like, you know, of course, corporate doubled down on safety and all that. They were probably the safest place. And I feel like when you have a, when you have a big company, have a data breach, it's the same way. And so uh, all that to say, I wouldn't panic when you see, because I, I have businesses, I have services that I've used uh, that have had data breaches too. So I wouldn't count a company out because I have a data breach. That's, that's my point. Uh, LastPass is a good one uh, for consumers. It's free. It has a zero knowledge architecture. It's now probably one of the safer ones because they had that incident. Uh, we use Keeper for our for businesses. You can get password managers. There's a lot of different ones out there. I would just make sure it has a zero knowledge architecture, which browsers do not. For the record, yeah. we scan point. browsers all the time. And we pull passwords way too easy. So right. I recommend against using browsers to store passwords. So Keeper does have a personal and a family plan if anybody wants to look into it. Um, yeah. They also offer a 30-day trial. Maybe we should ask them to sponsor this video. Yeah, we should, <laughs> we'll, uh, if you're watching Keeper. To educate the public a little bit, the reason we say this is because, as John just mentioned, a lot of people like to save their passwords in their browsers because they feel it's easier once you go to Amazon, you just click log in and then it just automatically logs in. But if someone's on your computer for more than 30 seconds to a minute, they can pull all of those passwords. Um, me and John have it to ourselves that we use in our cybersecurity risk assessments to show clients that if we're on that computer for at least 30 seconds with a USB, we can pull all those passwords. It doesn't matter if it's a bank, you know, a regular website, if it's your Walmart, you know, shopping cart, anything we can pull that stuff. Um, 
as John mentioned, the main complaint is I have too many passwords. So with the password manager, you just have to remember one difficult password. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because no one wants to make at least one difficult password. Uh, Emilio John, what do you guys mean by difficult? There's a couple of different methods and it depends which one you want to follow. Sometimes they say create four random words with a dash in the middle. Sometimes they say create a phrase. What we don't want you to do is use anything that I can find on your Facebook page, like your name or your dog's name or the year that your kid was born or the month that they were born. I can find all that by just going on somebody's Facebook, right? They're going to have pictures of their dog. They're going to have the names of their dog. They're going to post when their kids' birthdays are. So now I know exactly when the birthday is. So the more I know about you, the easier it is for me to social engineer your password. So to stay away from that, you can use four random words. Uh, boat, tree, car, sewers, you know, whatever combination you want. And if you just remember that, you get into your password manager. And then from your password manager, then you can copy and paste or, you know, directly put in a password. Um, anything else you want to add to that, John? I, I pretty much exclusively use Keeper to create my passwords. That too. So do I. I trust it enough to keep my passwords and I use it on my browser. I use it on my phone. It's encrypted. So I actually don't even, I, I, I'm good with that, but I, I just allow it to create passwords for me. I do too. Um, I, I hit the auto generate button and then it creates something crazy that I'm never going to remember. But my yeah. wife sees it. She's like, how do you remember that? I'm like, I don't. I That's don't. why I want you to not use that password. There's already. only a few places where it's really annoying to have that. So here's a really good example. Uh, my Chevy truck right now keeps bothering me for a password because somehow an update got lost and I don't remember the password. So you go to reset it if the password's crazy and then you got to type it into the, you know, the dashboard of the, yeah, yeah. That's that really easier for that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I pretty much use auto generated passwords. I, you know, because it does a really good job of creating something that's got, you know, uh, you know, letters, numbers mixed together and chances of somebody coming up with that is it's slim to none. I, I feel like I should have introduced the show. There's a scene from Spaceballs. Did you ever watch Spaceballs? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, where where they're talking about uh, they, they're getting the password from the, the leader, you know, and he said they asked for it, and it's, you know, one, two, three, four, five. And he says, wait, that's what's on my luggage. Or, you know, the other comment was, who would be so stupid to use that password and ends up being the, the head guy? So I think <laughs> what the point of that is, I should have played it. I've got it here, but... Um, what's funny about that is, is it tends to be something passwords also tend to be something that's led from the top down. And so if you own a business, it's your responsibility to create a culture of really good passwords and to check with your, your people to educate them on, Hey, we're, we don't want to have passwords that are really easy to guess. And we don't want to have the same password for everybody that is asking for trouble. There's and we if we can avoid having universal passwords for things that we access, that would also be uh, you know advisable. I agree. So everybody, you just heard it here, heard it first. Well, you didn't hear it here first. <laughs> that, that, that horse you didn't hear it here first that you should be using 
complicated password than possibly a password manager. We, we beat that drum on a regular basis because yeah. unfortunately it's like the thing that people hear and go, yeah, but it really sucks having really hard passwords and they just don't do it. And then they get their Facebook hacked and then they get everything else hacked at one time. And, and they don't get like when you, a lot of times with culture being one that you use your same password everywhere, once they get one password, they can get all the others too. It's not very hard if you're duplicating the the password type everywhere you go. Well, uh, let's let's talk about some news articles. There's yep. some new, you know, some new stuff. My favorite place to find cybersecurity things uh, lately has been bleeping computer. Uh, we use it quite quite frequently, and so I'm gonna I'll share my article here. That's up there on my top three. Yeah, yeah. go ahead and share. Let's see. So here's one that's super fascinating. Former IT manager pleads guilty to attacking high school network after he's fired. So he deleted over 1,200 Apple ID accounts and deactivated over 1,400 other Apple accounts. He attempted to collect... Um, their class IDs, their course IDs, their location, pretty much any information that he could obtain from there, he tried to collect. Wow. So uh, here's the question. Here's what I think. I think in a, an area that's commonly overlooked when it comes to cybersecurity, I, I think it's commonly overlooked that we need to be thinking about what our employees are doing. We sometimes don't do enough to protect uh, our infrastructure from people that we trust. If you're an owner, I think you should you have to have a level of trust with your employees. But at the same time, I think it's your responsibility to still put policies in place so that when you let somebody go, you it's not a disaster. I, I had a client who had a key person who they let go and they had to sit down. We'd sat down kind of a week beforehand and planned out what does this person know? What does this person have? How do we like, where, where are the areas that they could do damage just with the level of knowledge that they have? And it's policing the police. Yes. Yes. And then you have a guy here in this case who has the keys, the whole keys to the kingdom and they, you know, he's a single individual who has an attitude, obviously. And and now he can quite literally destroy them because they probably didn't have enough IT knowledge to know what they needed to change to keep him out. I think this is where companies like ours come in handy because we're, for one, 99% of us have an ethical belief that keeps us from doing those types of things and and it gives you somebody else you can trust that if you have even if you have an i an a internal it person or internal it people having a second company with with the keys to the kingdom if you will gives you an ability to have um just backup if something goes sideways yeah well it's also it's also your msp you know, uh, from me reading this article, it, this was more of a malicious act from the person being disgruntled with their employer. With the MSP, you have so many people in it that, you know, one person isn't going to be angry that the employer did something. 
you know, and there's going to be different checks and balances on, on the other side. So I agree with you. It is good yeah. to have an MSP maybe policing what your internal department is doing as they're going to have different motives for doing different things. Yeah, 100%. I think you just have to, you have to just have a level of trust with your staff, but you also have a level of reality that you don't know what's going to happen in the future. I, I know a number of businesses that have had people they thought they trusted do horrible things to their business. And so it put them in a, in a really bad spot when all of a sudden that person acted in a way they didn't expect. Have a level of trust. You should. But also have some things in place to make sure that if for some reason that trust is broken, you have a way of pulling them out of your organization and it not being catastrophic to your organization. I thought there was a phrase that said trust but confirm or something. Trust but verify. Trust but verify. Yeah. Trust but verify. Yep. And they do that in banking. Think about it. Banking's a high trust organization. You're trusting your all of your employees with money to do the right thing, to not stick the cash in their pocket. But they have a, just a, a bunch of verification tools to keep their employees honest and to make sure that they, if they had to remove somebody, they have a way of doing it. But they put a lot, still have a, a lot of trust that they put in their employees to do the right thing. It's the same thing in our businesses. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Okay, so here's another one, and this one may not apply as much to to everyone, but I, I think it's an important lesson about supply chain attacks. So this is 3CX, uh, what was it, four months ago, five months ago, they had a supply chain attack where uh, basically the hackers got into 3CX's backdoor and their development environment planted a bug when it got deployed out as a regular update it ended up everywhere it's a big fiasco i'm really proud of our industry because our industry really did a great job of protecting people using uh you know using security tools and to date that i've heard of i don't know that i've heard of any any losses because of 3cx i could be wrong but i've not heard of any it's not nothing's made the news that i've seen but here's the thing about supply chain attacks. This one is one that keeps coming back. So now 3CX is warning customers to disable SQL database integrations. And I think this is important to say when you think something's over, it may not be over and don't let your guard down. I think that's that's one of the lessons here. Uh, I'm not sure how much of the article you read, but basically I, I think this is somewhat left over from their initial hack probably something they just didn't realize was there and they're supposed to patch that vulnerability today but they basically said until we patch it turn off sql on your machines do you use 3cx by any chance i don't i don't but i think we're going to see more my point of bringing up 3cx is i think we're going to see more supply chain attacks we're seeing oh, a lot more you think about uh, uh had last pass, last pass was a supply chain attack. Yeah. Had it been fully successful, it was only partially successful. Had it been fully successful, it would have been a disaster. Think about if all of a sudden hackers got all the passwords of all the people that last pass served. Yeah. 
How much of a disaster would that be to know that there's IT managers, there's a bunch of people with passwords that would be in the wild? It would be an immediate loss because you'd have immediate people getting hacked. So I think it's important just to understand that these types of things exist and that we need to be really careful about just monitoring our own vendors. Yeah, and for the public, the, you know, the people that are not in the IT or cybersecurity space, if you guys remember a couple of years ago, Target was hacked. Oh, yeah. And the way that they had target was through the HVAC system. Mm -hmm. So somebody was able to infiltrate the air conditioning system for those that aren't familiar with the term HVAC. And through that air conditioning system, they were able to compromise the, the target network and through their steel information. You know, so that's what John means by supply chain attack. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anything else in the news that you want to you want to cover from your your looking through this Monday morning? Uh, no, I think that, um, that covers everything for today. Awesome. Super excited. Well, I think we've had a, we've had a great show today. We had a great guest and we've had uh, some conversation about some cybersecurity. We uh, have some tools to walk away with when it comes to password management. And, uh, I'm excited. Uh, we're going to be recording another episode today with somebody for later use. And I, I'm super excited about that guest. And uh, we've got some more content coming up. We've got some more guests coming to talk about different small business, medium business, uh, different ways just to, to help you grow your business and to make it more successful. So please, uh, you know, like us, follow, subscribe our, our Facebook and YouTube. And soon we will have audio podcast out as well. So you can listen to this in your car which happens to be where I listen to most of my podcasts. So I'm excited to get that, that launched out. But uh, for now, I'm super excited that we, we just had uh, just some really great second episode. And I think we'll see you guys in episode number three. Yep. Uh, like John just said, uh, follow us on all the social medias. If you guys have any suggestions or you want to see any guests or profession on the show, let us know so that we can bring them on. Um, with that said, the next two Mondays are Christmas and New Year's, so we will likely not have a live stream. We'll try to have some content for you guys, maybe some clips or maybe something pre-recorded. We'll see what we come up with. Um, so in that case, we will probably see you live the first week of January, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 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 that's true, because uh, we're coming up. Well, this next week we have, uh, I, who knows, I have a baby coming. I'm going to try and still make it. I'm going to try and still do uh it's Christmas yeah, though. It's, it's the 25th. Yeah. It's the 25th. It might be a little difficult. Is it the 25th? No, we still have yeah. one more week. One more Monday, don't we? Right. No. No. 25th hey, is coming up. And then after that, it's the first. Oh, wow. So, Time is yeah, no, flying. Time no is flying by. So, yeah. No we'll try to get some pre recorded content together <laughs> for the next two weeks. And then come uh, beginning of the year. Oh, man. It's time yeah. to just go by. Come the beginning of the year, we're going to be right back on Monday mornings, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 Eastern. And uh, just buckle up. It's going to be a great year for the Business and Bites podcast as we get this, uh, this thing rolling. So uh, super, super excited. All right. Wow. All right. Well, signing off. Awesome. See you later. Bye, everyone. Later.